Welcome to the Principles of Success, interviewing the experts. And today I am with Pete Deveni and his book, Decoding Your STEM Career, How to Exceed Your Expectations. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this is a um, book that is specifically targeted towards people who are wanting to progress in their tech STEM field careers, but it's just a good um career book and it's a good management book and so pete Deveni is here to talk about it and talk about it a little bit about his career and how he became an executive for some of the uh world companies in the tech fields so pete Deveni, uh welcome to the show and first off you want to tell a story of how you got from graduating in your uh, electrical engineering, I believe is what it was, uh, all the way to how you ended up to where you are now. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, Nathan, for uh, having me on the show. I, I look forward to this discussion. Um, and uh, yeah, talking a little bit about the, the, the book and what led me to, to write it. Uh, been a 37-year career that I've had in in, uh, in engineering at, at various levels and, and uh, rose to relatively senior levels in, in large corporations. Um, I started out fairly traditionally electrical engineering background. I did some graduate work in electrical engineering as well uh, in Toronto, graduating from the University of Toronto. I uh, joined a relatively small computer company uh, in, in Canada at the time doing uh, building mainframe computers and operating systems. Uh, and it really helped me get a good solid technical foundation. Uh, from there, I went to IBM, uh, again, performing in very technical roles for a while until I got the urge to move into management, probably no better company in the world. Uh, to do that at than IBM because they are so focused on training you in every discipline and and certainly for me there was no shortage of management training courses as well so it was a great great place to really hone those skills uh, after about 10 years at IBM I, I uh, got the urge to do something different I uh, got my first executive role at a relatively small logistics company uh, called the Descartes Systems Group uh, was uh, first time that uh, I really had a, uh, an active role in the success or failure of a, of a corporation. We did, we did well, we went public, grew, um, and all of a sudden I found that I was in this situation where A, I had to continue to build up a number of soft skills to become more effective in the roles that I had, uh, but I also found that I became a a wanted entity as uh, once you reach this level, it seems uh, companies are constantly trying to pry you away from wherever you, you, you are. And that, that, was, a, that was a good thing. Uh, gave me hope that if I was uh, ever unhappy at, at Descartes at the time, then there were lots of other opportunities. 
uh, moved around a little more and, and uh, uh, ended up finding myself at, at RIM BlackBerry, which was Canada's most valuable company. I ran enterprise software, became senior vice president of enterprise software at RIM, uh, really a, a defining role in, in, in my career, certainly one of the most memorable. Uh, was there for about 10 years or so through all the great days of BlackBerry and, and, uh, and then ended up going to uh, run software research and development and ultimately technology products and, and solutions at, at Dematic, which is the world's largest warehouse automation provider, automating warehouses for the likes of uh, Amazon and many others. So uh, long career, that's 37 years. And after 37 years, you, you, you learn quite a bit about uh, what it takes to uh, succeed and fail and bounce back and, and truly achieve uh, a level of success that that surpasses what I believe my uh, you know my own expectations were early uh, earlier on in my career and and felt compelled to write a book because there was so much I learned and there is so little out there uh, for this target audience that uh, there are 15 million graduates a year from STEM programs uh, globally about a half a million in the United States a year. Uh, yet there are no books that are really focused on how do you maximize your career in this field beyond raw technology. And, and that's really what I set out to do in this book to help that group. Very nice. And yeah, there is very few books on this particular field, which I've never really understood why, but it's just how it is. Um, so how did you make that initial switch from just being a tech worker to starting to getting into management? Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, it's a good question, and and IBM uh, was interesting in this respect. They were interesting in so many respects, but uh, as a as a company, and they were far and away the largest uh, computer company in the world back in the eighties when. Uh, when I was at that stage in my career. And what was fascinating about IBM is they did not um, favor one career path over another. Uh, they were, they were uh, focused on dual career paths, a technical career path or a management career path. And at some point in, in one's ascent in the company, uh, there comes a point where you have to make a decision. Do you take that fork in the road to go the management career pathway, or um, or do you take the other fork in the road to go uh, on in a technical career path? And they are entirely equivalent. So uh, same pay, same level structures. You ascend the same way. Uh, an IBM Fellow, which is effectively the the, the pinnacle of of one's uh, ascent on the technical career path, is equivalent to a very very senior executive on the management career path. Uh, but you do have to make a choice and, and uh, they help you a little bit. It's also based on your own inclination. Uh, but if they feel that, that uh, you have um, kind of the, the skill set to move in the management career path, uh, they encourage you to do it. That's the decision that I made. So all sorts of management courses they put you on, even in training while they're waiting for the right management opportunity to arise. So it really was because of IBM, and and uh, I decided that was the path that uh, that I wanted to go. And then, you know, at some point, it it uh, 
it just it just becomes you know who you are. Um, but the one focus that I really wanted to make sure of was no matter um, how focused I was on management, how high I moved up in any kind of management or executive ranks, uh, maintaining a, a, a deep level of technical competence was something that was always important to me. And I write about that in the book as, as well. I firmly believe that uh, there are many, many skills you need to be an effective manager. Uh, having solid technical competence is one of them, uh, but it's certainly not enough. Yeah, I feel like a lot of, it bugs me when a manager doesn't have the competency in the field that they're supposed to be managing. And so I know from the employee side point, that gets really aggravating. And you're like, you don't have any idea what's going on. So I agree with that, that that's a really important thing. Yeah, it's interesting you, you, you say that. And, and, you know, the stakes are large. Uh, you know, if a, if a manager or an executive makes a decision uh, that involves, you know, significant technical choices, you have to bear the responsibility and, the, and, and accept the ramifications of that decision. And if you're entirely reliant on others on your, on your team, not that you want to make the, the call as an executive, but you definitely want to, participate in the discussion and, and, and have your own opinions and form original thought and ask the right questions and have a degree of confidence that when you make that decision, you're actually making the right decision for the right reason. And, and if you, uh, you leave that all to others because you became, have become non, you know, too non-technical to participate in the conversation, uh, becomes very limiting, I think. Yeah. So, one of the other things that was mentioned is uh, knowing when to shift jobs and the importance of shifting jobs on occasion. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, in, in anyone's career and, you know, as employers, you always look uh, at someone's resume. How often did this person uh, shift jobs? Do you shift jobs every year, every six months, every two years? At a certain point, um, you start to question, you know, is this employee going to be committed enough to actually stay with us for a number of years? So there's a sweet spot in there. I always found, you know, maybe on average every five or six years uh, is a is a re is a reasonable number of times to switch jobs. Sometimes that might be three years, sometimes ten. In my case, I I think I had about you know six or seven jobs over over 37 years. Uh, but what I talk about is there is this feeling in your gut that you get. One of my favorite uh, quotes is uh, always listen to your gut because it knows what your brain hasn't figured out yet. And, and it, it's so true. If you feel this discomfort, you may be dissatisfied. Maybe it's partly about compensation. It may be your manager. It may be the strategy of the company. It may be the way they treat people. It may be, you know, that you're being bypassed for promotional opportunities. Uh, it may be a, a host or combination of a number of things, but you will get that feeling in your gut. Um, I think it's really important to understand what it is. What is it that's bugging you? Uh, think about what it is that you are looking for in your next role. Um, look for that. Uh, and when you find it, don't hesitate to make the move. Don't hesitate to take some chances. Um, in my case, the, what I found is as long as I had a solid foundation, often a technical foundation, 
I could jump from one industry to another relatively easily. And I knew nothing about the industries that I was moving into. I went from computer systems to logistics, to tele telecommunications, to robotics and warehouse automation. I knew virtually nothing about those industries when I moved into them, but I did have you know, good management skills. I thought I definitely had some technical um, uh, capabilities that that flowed through the underpinnings of all of those industries, and it, it it allowed me to you know move around relatively easily with confidence. But when a job felt right, I didn't hesitate to jump in with both feet and take it. Um, you know, again, whenever that feeling in my gut became substantial, and I think that's really important to do. And uh, uh, you know, with that, even if the move doesn't work out, I found that it puts you on a path that will work out. Sometimes it takes two moves. Uh, you know, you, you, it, it's almost like a, uh, you know, one hop and then you have to take another one uh, before you get where you want to go. But I've never found that by, you know, when, when you make that decision to, to move from one company to another, um, it, it tends to lead in a better direction than, uh, than the one you were on uh, again, if if you had that feeling of discomfort at the company that you were uh, that, that you were at, and and you got to understand the reasons why. Yeah, that that was awesome. Pretty important info right there. So, uh, before we dive into the ten principles of your book, there was one last question that was mentioned, and it was a managerial question of uh, how to engage and get to know your employees, even when you have possibly hundreds of employees? Yeah, that, that, that's something that was always so important to me. I, I hated walking down a hallway and uh, seeing unrecognizable faces within my, my group, my department, the building that we all worked in, uh, particularly when, when, when everybody worked uh, within my organization. Uh, so I really went out of my way to get to know everybody. Um, one of the things that I did is whenever groups of new people joined, so every quarter I would host roundtable sessions with anyone who joined the company within that last three month period. Um, so it gave us an idea. There was usually six, seven, eight, nine, ten people at the at the table, um, and we would just have a conversation about the company, about them, uh, Q and A. Uh, but it broke the ice. It got us to know each other. It meant that when we ran into each other at at the coffee machine, we know we, we we there was no hesitancy to speak to each other. They would come right out to me and speak. I would know their name and ask them how. Uh, how things are going and what they're working on. And it generated all these coffee maker discussions uh, effectively. Um, I tried to get around a lot, just out of my office, walk around, joke around, build relationships with people, make everybody feel comfortable. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was uh, accessible. Um, but I found that these roundtable sessions, uh, uh, we used to call them pizza with Pete sessions that we would bring in pizza and, uh, and, and just have an hour, hour and a half or two hour discussion. And, and uh, they were incredibly useful. And I would do the same thing when I went to remote offices. I would be very rare that I would go to a remote office 
without calling random groups of six, seven, eight, nine, ten people together just to have a conversation of this nature. I found it was even more important to do it at remote offices because there was no other opportunity uh, since I wasn't going to run into them very often in a in a, in a in the kitchen. So um, for me, that worked really, really well, and uh, and I got a lot of really good feedback on it. And and frequently, if people didn't have a chance to ask a question during the meeting, they would reach out to me afterwards and ask if they could have a conversation because they wanted to ask me something, but they may not have felt comfortable doing it. So. I think it's really critical for any leader to find a way, whatever works for them, that worked for me, to get to know their employees on a first name basis, get comfortable, get joking around and make sure there's an open relationship where everybody feels comfortable um, uh, opening up and talking and, and, and relaying what's on their minds. I agree with you. And that was actually a really good idea. Um, why, why do you feel that it's important to get to know your employees or coworkers? Well, um, it, anytime you're in a position of authority, it's all about trust. And, and uh, in general, there isn't this natural trusting relationship between an employee and a, and, and a manager. I think trust has to be earned and you can't, you can't build a trusting relationship unless you get to know each other, uh, know each other relatively well. And not just in a business context, but um, you know, there needs to be some um, personal relationship that is generated in the midst of that business relationship, which is obviously going to be dominant at, at, at work. And, uh, and that's really what I focused on as a leader. Um, sometimes you have to make decisions that, sometimes you make decisions that are popular. Sometimes you have to make decisions that um, are unpopular, at least unpopular with some uh, but you can get through all of those uh, if you communicate well, if you explain it well, and if you have a group of people that that trust you and trust you're making the best decisions um, uh, you can on behalf of the team, on behalf of the company. Uh, and uh, and that's just one of the steps that you have to follow. You, you have to go through if, if that's the kind of relationship you're you're striving to build with your with your team. I don't think there's any other way. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, so we're a little further in than I was thinking. So let's get to the 10 principles that are in your book. Uh, if you wanted to list all 10 real quick, and then we'll go one by one. Yeah, I mean, we can and, and or we can just pick some because uh, right. the, the, you know, I'll quickly list through what what the 10 principles are that that, that I talk about. And, and, and there's some some depth that that uh, will come out of it when, when uh, people read the book. But number one is you've got to build a solid base of technical skills and never stop learning. I mean, you have to continue, even as a senior executive, continue to hone those technical skills uh, for the reasons that, that I thought we talked about fairly clearly today. And I give a number of very specific examples in my book as to why that is so important and all the bad things that can happen if you, if you don't actually do that. Um, <laughs> Communications is another one. Um, I was a terrible presenter as a new engineer when I when I, I first started. You know, I had various uh, in, embarrassing moments uh, presenting. So I took an intensive communication course to really learn how to present effectively. 
And uh, it, it actually changed my life in many ways, certainly changed my working life. And it had so many, um, uh, so many benefits that went beyond just the ability to present in front of people, uh, be it large crowds, but giving presentations to executives, having effective one-on-one -on -one meetings, running meetings, uh, effectively, all of this comes out of being an effective communicator, and there are ways to learn how to do it. Um, I learned the hard way, and if I could do it, I, I, I know that anybody can do it, but you need to actually focus on, on, on getting good at that. And if you're not a good communicator, you generally will not be a good leader. Being outgoing, putting yourself out there is the third one. Um, you can't hang out in your office if you're going to be a good leader. you got to figure out a way how to how to talk to people, how to strike up the right conversations, how to motivate people. Um, and, and again, many of us, particularly many people that enter STEM fields uh, tend to be somewhat introverted by nature, uh, but finding a way as a leader to get out there and be as outgoing as possible as you, with your team is again, a critical uh, leadership principle and, and, and very much so in the technology field. When you say you're going to do something, do it. There's no excuse for making a commitment and then forgetting about it or hoping the person that you made the commitment to has forgotten about it. Um, talk many stories about why that is so critical, how to do it, how to make sure you do it. You may think people forgot about the commitment that you made to them and you know you got away with it. Uh, but people don't forget, right? They may not, they may not bug you about it, but you got to deliver. Being a great team player, um, you, you got to focus on the team ahead of your own accomplishments, no matter what level you're at, and you will be rewarded for that in the long term. If you focus on yourself, um, you won't. Uh, listening with the intent to, to understand, not with the intent to respond. Uh, you really have to become a good li listener. Um, talk about a... Uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, importance of being able to understand is as is, is, uh, critical as, as the ability to speak. And that is entirely true. Uh, too often people actually listen to others and they already know what they want to respond and what they say. They're just waiting for them to finish or they try to interrupt. But you really have to listen, understand. And based on what you heard, uh, you actually formulate your thoughts and respond then. Critical from a leadership perspective. Truth and integrity, even when it hurts, sometimes you have to tell the truth and it's the last thing you want to tell. But if you build a reputation for doing that, um, it will help you in the long run. Every now and then, take a chance on something new. Talked about that already earlier. Uh, ninth one was be tough when necessary. And you have to be tough as a leader, but maintain your composure. If you lose your composure at work, um, People will never forget that. People will never look at you the same way. Um, you have to learn how to be tough um, while remaining calm at the same, at the same time. And, and the last one is, is be kind and go out of your way to help other people. And they will remember you for that forever. You will be rewarded for that forever. Um, but, uh, but you will also equally remember uh, for not helping others or for not being kind. And it will, in the long run, not help your career. So um, those are the 10 principles I talk about. And uh, with each one, I have many, many stories. As I said, some of them I was very proud of how I handled. Some of them were great learning opportunities for me and I was anything but proud of. 
but nevertheless, looking back at them, I learned a lot from them, and uh, and I try to share them in the in the book um, to help others. Hopefully, maybe avoid the mistakes, or or at least not feel so bad if they make the mistakes. Because um, you know, with each time you make it, as long as you make a focus, uh, make an effort not to make the same mistake again, I think you're going to be a lot better off. Yeah. So I'm assuming one of the ones that you regret is for the tough section of not losing your cool or losing your cool with that. But the one I really want to talk about uh, is the um, communications and getting out there. I know they're two different ones, but getting out there, especially for introverts, because like you mentioned, a lot of STEM people are super introverts that don't know how to socialize at all. So could you tell maybe one of those stories? Yeah, well, um, so I was a little bit like that. I would say earlier in my my career, certainly uh, in uh, in the early days at GIAC, in the early days at IBM, uh, IBM used to have this saying called, and, and maybe other companies used it too, called MBWA. It was kind of weird. It was called management by walking around. Um, always seemed very disingenuous to me, but it left something in my in my brain as. Uh, you know, this acronym that said, you got to get out there and, and talk to people. Some people used to schedule time on their calendars. I got to do some MBWA, which was, which was really weird to really weird to me that, that, uh, um, you know, you put something like that in your calendar, but people, people actually did. Um, for me, uh, I would, I would walk around. It was all part of this, um, building relationships and talking with people and, and being inquisitive um, often around coffee makers, often just walking around, um, saying hello to people, asking what they were actually working on and showing genuine interest in what they were doing. Um, one of the things that I remember with one of my managers early on at, um, at, at IBM is we used to celebrate accomplishments uh, by going out for lunch. And, and we would go out and have a meal and the meeting invitation said it was to celebrate this new release. Um, you would end up talking to whoever was sitting beside you. And there was never a mention. Uh, there was never a speech given, uh, thanks shared by the manager of the team or the leader of the team, we finished lunch, the bill was paid and we went home. And, and in those early days, I remember this is so weird, right? We accomplished a major uh, goal uh, together as a team and the manager took us out for lunch, but he really didn't say anything. And it stuck with me. And for me, when I went out and took a team out for lunch to celebrate an event, it was about what am I gonna say how am I going to be out there? How am I going to motivate people? How am I going to thank people appropriately? Uh, put the thought into what I am going to say in these situations to make sure that it resonates with the team and I can use it as a motivating uh, opportunity for, uh, uh, for me, for the, for the whole team. So it, it changed all the time, but it was about always being thinking, how can I talk to people? How can I get out there? How can I make them feel good? How can I understand what they're working on? Um, and, uh, and this went on over and over again. And sometimes it was a co-op student that I would, I would meet and ask them. And that was motivating to him just because the VP of the department 
came by and wanted to know what he was working on through his through through his co-op term. Um, countless numbers of experiences, and they always happen when you just you just get out and uh, get out of your shell, force yourself to do it. You can do it. it. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Naturally, being outgoing is something very different from that. You have to. You can mm-hmm. learn it. You just have to get out there and yeah. and and do it and get over that shyness that may be uh, naturally ingrained in, in in so many of us. Yeah, like I'm I'm super introverted and I'm super naturally shy. But everyone who meets me nowadays are like, "You're not an introvert." I'm like, "Yes, I am." You're hosting a podcast. <laughs> I've just worked really hard to develop yeah. the social skills and being yeah, yeah. outgoing. Um, yeah, it, it, look, it's it's like every principle that I talk about in the book is learnable. They're all learnable, but they're all important. And you don't learn them until you recognize them. You don't learn them until you actually realize that you probably have a problem in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you recognize them, you can you can fairly easily overcome with a little bit of focus and a little bit of discipline. Yeah, and that's that's something that I've learned over the years as well. It's like you might suck at a lot of different things, but everything that you need to be successful is a learnable skill. Yeah. And yeah, you know, one thing I often say, um, and it, it's, you know, I, I realized when I was going through school, I'm surrounded by brilliant colleagues all the time. And I always thought, this guy's way better than I am, technically, way smarter than I am in my, you know, the, the way I saw it. Um, Yet most of those people did not rise to achieve anywhere close to the level of potential that they actually had in them. And it's because they, they didn't focus on, on really obtaining all of the other skills that you need to rise, whether you want to be a, a, you know, a, a top technologist or whether you want to be a top management executive, um, you need to focus on a broad array of skills. And if you don't do that, you will limit how high you go in any corporation and it happens over and over and over again. So um, one of my favorite books is, is, is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. And he, he talks about the fact that um, anyone that has an IQ between 125 and 185, uh, there is no discernible difference between the level of success that they achieve, which effectively says in order to achieve maximum success, you have to be smart, but you only have to be smart enough beyond a certain threshold. Uh, your ultimate success is determined by a wide variety of skills, but it is not based on on IQ or not yeah. IQ alone. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, IQ only helps a tiny bit. It's all the other yeah. skills that really separates everybody. Exactly right, and that is true, and as true in technology as it is in any other field. And uh, I think the more technologists understand what those other skills are that they need to hone uh the more success they're going to have in their careers yeah okay so we are out of time is there anything else that you'd like to mention real quick no i think uh uh that was a great discussion my book is 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 called um decoding your stem career it is available uh anywhere uh amazon is the the easiest often and and uh and uh, there's all kinds of inf- interesting information on my website, which is petedevenue.com as well. And uh, it was great to talk to you. I appreciate the opportunity.
Well, I appreciate the conversation too. And his book will be linked down in the episode description. So guys, go check that out. And thank you, Pete, for coming on the show today.